Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Monday, September 13th edition of the Basement Academy. For those who were at church yesterday at Greenwich, you know what a blessing and what a joy it was to have Ken Miedema in worship with us, leading worship in the choir. Uh, for those who stayed between services, you know what a special thing happened as Ken took stories that people told about how church has been a blessing to them in some way, and he wove those into a unique song in the moment. I think there were seven different people who just uh, told a story, and then he worked that into a song that he made up on the very spot amazing. It was this act of creation that took place in front of us. Just wonderful. Um, if you haven't uh, watched church yet, if you were unable to attend, uh, let me invite you to do so. Um, we're going to try to get that in-between service video scrubbed up and, and cleaned up and edited. Uh, and I believe we'll be posting that as well uh, in these coming days. So anyway, what a joy uh, to be in the house of the Lord. Let's begin a new week. Okay, I'm just going to say right up front, I'm going to need you to hang with me this week on our reflections, okay? It's like it's a slow build, okay? So I need you to just kind of, if you've got the time, just to listen all the way through. Um, feel free to turn off before the, the Lord's Prayer at the end. I, I get that. But if you can listen all the way through, this week and I think next week are going to be really important for thinking through what do we do? <laughs> what do we do about these problems in our world? So I want to begin with a morning psalm that I think reflects what I've talked about, kind of the personal reality, the personal struggle with injustice, suffering, um, encountering forces beyond us that that we want to cry out. So I know I'm doing whiteboard work and it's staying fairly antiseptic and abstract, but we can't forget there's real suffering by real people. And so Psalm 13 bears witness to this and we need to pray. If it's not our own experience, then we're interceding on behalf of those for whom this is their experience. For the director of music, a Psalm of David, Psalm 13. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O oh Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Psalm 13, just six verses. A really important psalm to pray. Again, advocate the praying of five psalms. Every day you go through the entire book of psalms. If this is not your own experience of wrestling with thoughts every day and sorrow in your heart, wondering how long, oh God, am I going to have to endure this thing, this trial? If it's not your experience, 
it is certainly the experience of another. And so then you pray for those people using these words from Psalm 13. Part of the value of the Psalms, they're they're roughly 3,000 years old. They remind us that we are not alone in our experience of suffering, of pain, of difficulty, of injustice. Again, we don't know exactly the circumstances. But for those in our society and in other places, think think of the people in Afghanistan now as the Taliban is taking over. How long? Now, they're maybe not crying out to God, uh, Yahweh, uh, as we would. But this experience of suffering and injustice. So those who have suffered long and their families have suffered long in the United States, perhaps the descendants of slaves and, and how they just find themselves caught in a web that to them is unjust, unable to get ahead in life, unable to prosper, unable to make their way out of whatever uh, situation they are in. You can imagine this prayer on their lips. And so we need to pray on behalf of those. Lord, how long till the world is delivered? How long until we see your kingdom come uh, on earth as it is in heaven? So with that in mind, let's, let's, let's dive in. So let's continue our reflections. If, if critical race theory is not, I'm advocating, it is not the answer to our problems. It is seeking to explain how we got where we are laying the blame at the feet of white heterosexual males. And there's a whole host of assumptions and and propositions and statements and beliefs tied into critical race theory. But it's basically that white straight men, Christians, get tucked in there as well, are the oppressors. And then women and blacks and indigenous people, Native Americans, people of color, these are the oppressed. And so these are the dynamics that are propelling our society forward and all of the institutions of our society are designed intentionally to protect and preserve the power of the white person, particularly white men, white straight men. So I'm advocating, I'm saying that is not the best explanatory model for what's happening in the United States of America. It's an explanatory model. I think it falls short, but it is one that is gaining momentum and it's gaining foothold. And so if it's not critical race theory, if if we don't buy into that, then what do we do? And so it's, it's last week, kind of coming at things slowly. This week, we'll come at things slowly. I will eventually get to what are some steps we can do but you're not going to like a lot of my answers. I'm just telling you, okay? So, so I'm asking you, please, as a favor to a brother, just hang in because this is hard work right now, okay? And today, I want to try to get at some of this today. So last week was arguing there's three arenas in which we act against uh, social injustice, racial injustice, economic injustice, etc. okay? Uh, three arenas. Arena one would be the local arena where I work and play and shop, people I know, people I come across, okay? So very local, personal, family. And so respond, okay? Be the good Samaritan to the person in need, okay? So what do we do? We respond if we see something or speak out, okay? Not always easy, but, but we can do something about it. 
Arena 2 is more the regional area. Okay, let's say uh, our kind of Noakesville, Greenwich community, which would stretch to Warrington, Bealton, Culpeper, and up to, you know, Manassas and Haymarket and, you know, around Warrington and like. So, so you've got a regional expression where we, we join together with others. There's a group effort. So we is more than me, okay? So I can, we pool our resources together in a church, in some other service organization, and we seek to alleviate some need. We seek to mitigate some need, some situation. We bring our combined resources to bear, um, both with voice, with money, with time, with effort, with sacrifice and service. And so Arena 2 would be the regional. So I've, I've suggested last week that Arenas 1 and 2 are where we do most of our living, okay? But Arena 3 is where it gets tricky, the societal level. And this is where we encounter what are said to be systemic realities, institutional realities. Now you're moving out into more anonymous contexts. Here we can actually know the people in some way or have a closer connection, direct connection. You move out to the societal level and what we really, the, 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 the means by which we address those needs are really through the electoral process, uh, which has to deal with legislation, public policy, uh, education, okay? So this is why critical race theory is working at the level of the school boards. They're trying to change the way people think. And if you change the way people think about society and human history or American history in particular, then over time, they're going to change society. So there's an educational expression as well as a public policy. And so corporate trainings, federal trainings, um, uh, and the like are trying to change people's behavior with some accompanying, um, gosh, I don't want to, how do I say this, punitive measures. If you don't get on board, then you're off the ship, okay? And so people are getting fired for not buying in or embracing the tenets of critical race theory in whatever expression it comes, okay, in, in, the, in the different ways. So at the societal level, I would argue this is where the, the action is, okay? This is where the, the differences are. Most of us can do some work here and feel kind of okay about it, right? But it feels like there's more to do. How can we change the laws? How can we change society? How can we change the way people think about people of color and about race and about class uh, and, and the like? So the so A3, Arena 3, is I would argue, is what we're thinking about typically when we're, when we're focusing on this. So I would argue that that's the million, I was going to say it's the million dollar question, but it's probably it's the billion or trillion dollar question because we're routinely now starting to talk in trillions of dollars. That's the, that's the money question. How do we fix Arena 3? I think that's what critical race theorists are getting after. That's what the academics who are proposing dismantling and disrupting the institutions of our society, they're after some remedy in the larger society, okay? They're not really talking at local and regional levels. 
They're going after the big kahuna. <laughs> they want to change American society by questioning the very foundations of America, by questioning the foundational documents of America, by, by questioning the foundational uh, motivations and impulses of the American spirit, okay, and the American experiment. And so the, the money question is, how do we fix society? These, uh, what, what are said to be systemic injustices, systemic realities, institutional ways of being uh, in our society that come against classes and groups of, of, of people. Hence, identity politics has kind of grown up as an effort to work at this more anonymous level. You don't have individual identity as an American, regardless of the color of your skin. You actually are the identity group of the color of your skin or your gender identity or your uh, class or something like that. And so what we're really trying to talk about is how do we solve racial division and injustice? What seem to be systemic actions against unarmed black men that are killed by the police? Now, Data would indicate it's actually unarmed white men that actually suffer more at the hands of uh, the police, uh, law enforcement. But again, critical race theory says data be damned, right? Evidence be damned. It, it, that's, that's a tool of the, the white hegemonic power to preserve its power. So, but, but the concern is how do we address racial division? How do we address racial injustice? Have there been experiences of this? Absolutely. Not, not questioning that in American history at all. What do we do about violence and mass shootings? Haven't talked a lot about that, but that, that comes into how are we fixing societal issues? And so gun control measures and the like, how do we prevent the Parkland shootings and the Columbines, et cetera, and the, the Sandy, was it Sandy Hook, I think. Um, so how do we address discrimination in its many forms against women, against uh, people of color, against the LGBTQ plus uh, community? What about economic disparity? So again, equality of opportunity versus equality of outcome. And so the critical race and critical theorist approach is saying we actually want equity and so there's a fixed pie. You've got a piece of pie I don't have. So I've got to take half of your piece of pie so that we have the exact amount of pie. And in fact, I might need to take uh, three quarters of your piece of pie because you've had more pie in the past. And so the equity argument is really a quantitative argument. It's not equality of opportunity. Let's, let's level the playing field so everybody has a chance at growing <laughs> the pie, okay? Let, 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 let's make, bake more pies, kind of the creation of wealth. Um, it, it tends to see things as a fixed uh, entity, and, and so we want to get at that. So uh, the equity argument's a quantitative argument, not a qualitative argument. So we could go on and on. How do we fix society? That's the question, right? I mean, that's, that's really the question that sits underneath all of this. We look at our world and we see there are problems. We perceive the problems differently, but we all agree there's problems. That is, some would perceive the problem to be in this direction. Others would perceive it to be in that direction. But we all look and we see that there's, 
we don't have the, the fully flourishing society, uh, liberty and justice for all. Um, we don't see that everybody uh, is, is flourishing in body, mind, and spirit, uh, economically, uh, and in other ways. And so there's this, we look out at American society, we could look at Afghanistan, for instance, or, or Myanmar, Burma, where you know, we have some connection to the uh, helping to care for people who've, who've struggled there. This is the question. This is the long question. This is not a new question. This is the long age old human question. We look at society, we look at the world and we see that it's not right. We can, we have a sense internally that, that we're not seeing that there, there's more that we could be realizing. There's more that we could be experiencing as a human family. And then different nations and different nation states and different um, groups pursue what they perceive to be in their best interests to create the society that flourishes or the 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 um, set of circumstances that will benefit their world. And so this is where wars come from, right? Because humans don't always see things the same way. So, so I hope you see where I'm starting to go with this thing, okay? So this is the question, okay? So critical race theories getting after this. I'm arguing if it's not critical race theory, what do we do? Well, we can, we can move and we'll, we'll talk more about specific things we can do at Greenwich, perhaps to address some of these. Here's where the action is. Here's what we're perceiving is the problem um, that we're trying to fix the world, right? I'm gonna ask a couple questions that maybe you've never asked before. What makes us think we can fix the world? What makes us think we can fix Arena 3? What makes us think that we can fix racial injustice and economic disparity and violence of humans against other humans? What makes us think we can fix discrimination of any kind, okay? There's something in us, certainly here in America, I can't speak to other nations. I would offer to you that in other places, they probably don't think this way. This may be a uniquely American or Western democratic uh, thought process. We can fix this thing. What makes us think we can fix these issues? And, and then kind of the flip side of that coin, what makes us think we should fix those things? That, that's a separate question altogether. Can we fix it? Should we fix it? Maybe we reverse those questions. The first question is, should we do something about what we perceive to be wrong in the world? Is that something we, again, what do we mean when we say we? I'm thinking we Greenwich people, we Americans, okay? So we Christians, we Americans, okay? So that's, that's the audience I'm speaking to. I'm speaking right to Greenwich right now. But when I'm thinking, what, what makes us think we as Americans should fix these things in our society? And then what makes us think we can fix them? So it's one thing that we should fix them. It's another thing, can we fix it, right? 
So I'm questioning some assumptions. These are just assumed, right? I mean, you might be slightly put off by me asking the questions. Okay, that's why I said at the outset, hang with me this week, okay? I'm going to do some of this work that's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Of course we should set about fixing things. And of course we can. Look at all we've been able to accomplish in American society. We have fought wars to fix things and to address things, okay? So I'm, I'm not saying we can't and shouldn't. I'm just asking the question. I want to raise the assumption up. I want to question the assumption a little bit. Where does that come from? What makes us think we can and should fix arena three? I would offer to you that only a society that already cares about justice for all is committed to these kinds of things. There's an underlying assumption we have. Of course we should do something about the problems in our world. Of course we can do something about the problems in our society. Those assumptions are the assumptions of a society, of a people that are already committed to justice for all. If you can hang with me on this one. In India, where they have the caste system, would we see that as a society that is committed to justice for all? well, if they're happy with that, then we're okay with that, is what some people say. You know, we, you live your truth, I'll live my truth, okay? But we would look at that and we would perceive that not to be a just society. As the Taliban takes over Afghanistan and we believe with reason, reasonable belief that women and children are now very unsafe because in that framework, that radical framework of the Taliban, the, the, the belief system there, Women and children are threatened vis-a-vis -vis our understanding of how women and children ought to be cared for and protected as we seek to be about that in our society. But that's the difference, okay? We, we look with our lenses, our American lenses, and we see and we are concerned about the safety and health of women and children and others, right, in, in, in Afghanistan. But we have no jurisdiction there, so we have to watch and, and with some sadness. So a society that already is committed to justice for all cares about the things of Arena 3. So critical race theory is leveraging something that already exists in American society. It is, it is drafting on that, right? I mean, it's, we care about liberty and justice for all. That we are having this conversation at all, just right now, but this national conversation on race, on injustice, on economic disparity, on discrimination, the very fact that we are not only tolerating this conversation, but we're advancing and, and propelling this conversation. Now, critical race theory is getting it in front of us. And so that may be the value 
of critical race theory is it's bringing something into the public conversation through federal workspaces and academia and secondary schools and school boards and corporate training areas and the church, that this national conversation on justice and um, freedom and equality and equity, the fact that we are tolerating this conversation, but not only tolerating it, but in some degrees, welcoming it and getting on board with it. So many people are embracing critical race theory. I would argue the fact that we are even having the conversation is the demonstration that we are not a systemically racist society. Because if we were systemically racist and if white straight men were all about holding on to their power, we would not tolerate the conversation. We would put we would be the Taliban. Okay, so critical race theory suggests that white Christian men, <laughs> straight Christian men, are effectively the Taliban that are trying to muscle their way and put everybody down. We all know that's not true. Everybody knows that's not true. So the, the Afghanistan experience, what, what we're watching, that, 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 that terrible crisis is a demonstration. We are not that people. Why are, why are Afghan refugees coming here? Why are people trying to cross the southern border to get out of uh, the, the southern hemisphere uh, countries and come to America? People of brown skin in Afghanistan have a different color skin. If we're so systemically racist, why are people trying to get here? The very fact that we're having the conversation about uh, liberty and justice for all and, and wanting to achieve that is the demonstration that we are not a systemically racist. So do not believe, do not buy the lie, okay? So, so part of today is trying to help you understand some of this. But where do we come up with this idea that we should do something about this? Well, we justice for all is kind of the language. This is the, the spirit of our Constitution. The U.S. Constitution is to protect the rights. We believe that all men are created equal and they're endowed by their creator with these inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so that governments are established to secure and protect and preserve these rights that are endowed by a God, right? A creator. And so our concern for justice for all derives from our constitution, but where did our constitution come up with it? Not exclusively, I know there were other influences, but from Christianity and from the Bible. The Western civilization understanding of human rights, of civil rights, of freedom, of equality, of justice are all derived from Christianity. And so these are so baked into the system. <laughs> they're so baked into the way we think about things. They're, they're so much a part of our society. This is what Tom Holland is arguing in his book, Dominion. We are so thoroughly Christian, we don't even recognize we're Christian. That is, Western society, Western civilization is so thoroughly committed to caring for the poor, caring for the outcast, caring for the oppressed, um, that is concerned about rights and women and children. These are not the values of the Roman Empire. They're not the values of the Taliban. They're not the values of uh, uh, the Communist Party of China. They're not the values of these other societies uh, currently or throughout time. They are the values of Western democracies that are grounded in a Christian understanding of the world. 
So the very fact that we're having all of this conversation is, dem- is, is demonstration of how thoroughly Christian we are. So ironically, critical race theory is, is saying Christianity is the problem. No, 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 no. <laughs> the Christian worldview has so dominated our Western society in America in particular that it even allows this voice to speak. And it it allows itself to be criticized, right? Jesus allowed himself to be whipped. (laughs) And so there is within this framework. So so part of today is just to, to understand how thoroughly grounded in this framework of rights and freedom and equality that we are as as Americans. We, we, you know, we point to the Constitution. Well, critical race theorists are saying, throw, overthrow the Constitution, that it's a racist document. No, it is not. Okay? So, here, I want to I end here. And we'll kind of pick up here tomorrow. What does the Bible say about eliminating injustice? What does the Bible say why injustice exists in the first place? And, and how does one go about eliminating injustice? injustice. So so now I'm talking to Christians, okay? So we, what do we as Greenwich Christians understand the Bible to be teaching, okay? And so what's hard for us is I've talked about this last week. We tend to think, oh, United States of America, constitution, jurisdiction, you've got the Bible. We have these jurisdictional realities, okay? But the Bible describes reality and we, we're, I'm going to try to tease out some of the jurisdictional things between church and state this week and next. Do we Christians think injustice is eliminated easily? Do we think, as Christians, do we think our Bible teaches us that injustice is something that only a few people uh, partake in? Our scriptures remind us that there is something, an infection that has happened in the human family that affects the entire human family throughout space and time, not just a segment, one nation at one little part in time and one color skin of people. So it's not just white people that are the problem. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is so deeply embedded and out of the sin in our lives comes the injustices of our lives. And so we want to eliminate violence. Well, let's go talk to Cain and Abel. That would be great to eliminate violence, but sinners hate other sinners and they sometimes act on that hatred and kill them. And so what we're really saying is how do we eliminate sin? See, so arena three, all of these things, racial division, injustice, violence, mass shootings, discrimination of every form and kind, economic disparity. These arise as a result of sin in the human family. That's what our scriptures teach. And so because our scriptures teach that, when we formed our constitution, we know that no individual can be trusted. You get tyranny that way, okay? So we must have a separation of powers. There must be checks and balances because individuals and even groups of individuals cannot always be trusted because of a flaw in the human family. And so that's why our foundational document of these scriptures 
sits underneath, again, I know there are other thoughts that are, that are being brought into the Constitution, but there's a fundamental understanding of something wrong with the human family. So we have this separation of powers. And so we actually are, are committed to justice for all. And so I might argue that the critical race theorists, might, they might be onto something, that power is the big issue but they're wrong in the analysis of where that power differential comes from. It doesn't arise from white people. It arises from sin within. And so I'm going to stop there a little long today. Uh, hopefully you've hung in. Um, this is important work to do. It's hard work to do. So you might have to listen to this a couple times to try to get some of these nuances, but it's really important that we understand it. So let, let, let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope that we have of a just kingdom that is coming and will come finally, fully, and forever. Until that time, keep us vigilant and wise and humble and compassionate and engaged, both in our churches and in our society. And Lord, help us to do the hard work within and without of bringing about your just kingdom. Here us as we pray in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May God be kind and gracious to you this day, this week, and to you, your loved ones. And may God watch over us as a people as we work our way through these very difficult times. Bless you.